Hello and welcome to another edition of Sports Voice After Dark. I'm Jason Doro, alongside Will Greer and your every week host and producer, Amit Malik. We got a lot of things to talk about today. We're going to mix in some Northwestern football, the big news about Welsh Ryan and how they're moving out to Allstate Arena for a year for men's and maybe women's basketball. Maybe Will Greer has other ideas for what they might do there. Before we get to some NFL <coughs> and NBA talk, are you excited, Will? Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Tuesday evening, not too sleepy yet. It's not sleepy time yet. It's only about 6.05 Central sleepy time, time. So I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? What is sleepy time for you, before I answer that? Ideally 10 or 11. You know, I, I'm living with you for the first time. I don't think it's 10 or 11 based on That's the uh, ideal time. Evidence. I didn't give you the actual time. I gave you the <laughs> ideal time. Ideal time is 10 or 11. Well, I'm ready to go. Amit, how are you feeling? Feeling great. Um, Philly sports is at an all-time high in the last year or two, so... I know the Eagles are good. Are the Phillies good? No, no, they're right. not. Um, the Flyers' first preseason game tonight, um, and the Sixers had their media day yesterday. So, okay, lot, okay. lots to be excited about in okay. the wonderful world of Philly sports. Yeah, I have to ask about the Phillies. If we got into MLB talk, I'd just excuse myself, and you two could go at it. But anyway, let's start with Northwestern football. Wildcats play at home on Saturday. They face Nebraska, who came in ranked twentieth in the country. And they fall 24-13, a game which was, well, on the scoreboard, much closer than maybe the level of play was. Yeah, Nebraska should have had 40 points. I mean, they, they definitely should have had 38 points because they had two touchbacks on plays that should have been touchdown, which probably broke a Big Ten record, if not an NCAA <laughs> record. I guess we don't have the, the research to go back and look up and fumbles look on the opposing one-yard line. Yeah, it just <laughs> can't be more than two, right? It just can't be. You wouldn't think so. Uh, for a team to have 550 total yards of <laughs> offense to seemingly move the ball effortless, effortlessly uh, every single drive, it looked really, really dominant. And like you said, it's kind of crazy that they only scored 24 points. So I think the number one takeaway here was the defense. Like you said, the 550 yards for Nebraska, they were doing it through the air, they were doing it on the ground. At this point in the season, where's Northwestern's strong suit? Is it still the defense? It can't be. I mean, there wasn't... Sure, you're going up against one of the better offenses in the Big Ten, if not college football, with a potential All-American candidate in Tommy Armstrong. But was there a possession in that game where you felt like Nebraska wasn't going to move the ball down the field? I felt like it was a toss-up. What do you mean by that? I mean, half the time they moved it down the field and scored or fumbled at the one, and half the time they punted. I think that was pretty even. But it felt like... What I'm trying to get at is it felt like every time that they got the ball, as long as they didn't inflict something upon themselves, it's not like Northwestern was going to stop them and get off the field quickly. That, that's fair, because yeah. they were getting a good push up front. That offensive line was pretty dominant. Read option seemed effortless for them. And it seemed like every time they wanted, they could throw a seven-yard curl to the wide receiver who was guarded by Trey Williams. And that's partially because he's a freshman and he's never really had that serious game action for this year, and they had to back off. And so that play was there, like, what, 10, 15 times we saw mm -hmm. it? And if it wasn't, then, you know, moved on to the next reads. But it was real tough for that secondary to play well with how depleted it is. I was in the student section, so I didn't have the perfect angle of the action, I guess. One of those few games where I'm not up there in the press box. But you could see not only Trey Williams, but Montre Hardage was playing well off on the opposite side, no matter what Cornhusker receiver they were squaring off against. Yeah, and I think part of Northwestern's mentality on defense, as it was last year, and I think the plan was this year, was attack with the front seven, get pressure on the quarterback, 
and let the Sky team make plays after the QB's forced into a bad throw. With your cornerbacks depleted and having to back off the line, that immediately is no longer strategy. They can get a quick throw as soon as they want, and even if they, the pressure do, and if the pressure doesn't come, Tommy Armstrong and other quarterbacks that have time to sit back and really carve up the defense into the second and even deep balls, and that's been really worrisome. Now the strategy kind of seems like let's get to third down and hope for a stop because you're giving them seven yards, like you said, with that buffer coverage. Yeah, it seems like they're just like, you know, have six, have seven. We'll get to third and three and try to make a play happen, but that's really hard too. And then the defense <coughs> isn't attacking the way we're accustomed to them doing. It's a really dangerous way to play defense is to hope that you can get off the field on third and three, third and four, especially against these more experienced quarterbacks who know that they only have to have five yards and they know exactly where they need to put the ball to get five yards in that kind of situation. And they didn't get to third down all that often. 7 of 14, Nebraska was on third down. Northwestern got to third down just as many times. They were 5 of 14. The question I'd like to pose to you real quick is, assuming Kyle Cairo and Matt Harris are out, which, as far as we know, they are, is this the best strategy defensively? I think it's the only strategy. I don't uh, know if that answers your question. Do you have uh, anything more to add? I think people are forgetting, just to throw this in there quick, with K-Route, Jared McGee is in at safety, too, next to Godwin Igubuke. This was supposed to be the team's best unit, probably, as a whole. Maybe linebacker, defensive line, you can make a case for them, too. But between Godwin, K-Route, Matt Harris, and Keith Watkins, this year looked like the secondary was going to be real prime. And now only one of them are left. Uh, you know, it's really hard to scheme up defensive ways to cover up holes in your secondary. Godwin is obviously very talented, and, you know, maybe one thing I can see is heavier zone coverage and then, you know, maybe rushing less. But the problem is when you sit in zone and you don't get any pressure from the front line, they just have time to find the pockets in those zones. And it seems like they've been mixing up zone and man, but as of now, I can almost certainly say from what I've seen through two or three games, man coverage is not the option for this team. They're getting yeah. beaten very mm -hmm. badly. We saw the deep, ball, <clears throat> the deep ball over Trey Williams was excruciatingly painful to watch. He he kind of was in kind of slow mo, and I'm not. I don't want to keep knocking Trey Williams. I think he's fine. He's a freshman. He's a long way to go, and this is just part of the learning curve against you know quarterbacks that have been throwing at him with Duke and Nebraska. So, that, I guess that's my only suggestion: is play a lot of zone and tell your front four, hey, you got to create something. Let's get a quick wrap on what happened offensively before we move on to something else. Clayton Thorson, 24 of 37 for 249 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Justin Jackson had 79 yards on 20 carries, a little under four yards per touch. Austin Carr, another big day, eight receptions, 109 yards and a touchdown, but he was really the only force in the wide receiver game. Thoughts on the offense real quick. It seemed like the plan was to dump it offshore, a lot of horizontal passes, not really going down the field vertically. I think that's why Thorson's completion percentage went up a little bit. But there were certainly holes in the Nebraska defense in finding that horizontal passing game. Carr was open many times. Macon Wilson continues to become a bit of a young threat and going horizontally. And Northwestern was in a lot of pretty strong positions. You said 5 of 14 on third down. They weren't necessarily in a lot of third and down situations, third and long situations like they have been uh, through week three, but still, it's just not quite there. The offensive line is still not quite there. Thorson, if he has any kind of pressure on him, seems to still not really be at the level where he can stand in the pocket or scramble out and find a receiver on the run. The whole improv play ability of Clayton Thorson, just not quite there at this stage of his career. 
I think the offense will continue to struggle until it is or until the offensive line improves dramatically. I'd agree that internal clock with Thorson is still kind of developing. He's figuring out when to escape the pocket, when to step up, when to take off on his feet, which maybe he does a little too often, although that turned into one of Northwestern's biggest plays this week is that big scamper he had. But Clayton Thorson as a whole this season, I've been saying this since week one, I don't think he's been the issue at all offensively. He's thrown a lot of great balls. He had one bad decision against Nebraska that turned into an interception in the end zone. Um, was, maybe a few a, bad passes here and there. He forced it a little bit. It's the yeah. receiver's fault, though, right? That's kind of what they the got out of the first game. He was conference. supposed to cut in front of the safety. Uh, there you go. But it was, I think it's equal on both of them. He was double coverage. And yeah, he wasn't he, open. He wasn't <laughs> open, but I agree that Clayton hasn't really been the problem with the offense, and the receiving core has you know, shown signs of improvement. I think if you're really looking at it, it's the offensive line. Yeah. The absence of a running game has made Northwestern one-dimensional, and you can't be one-dimensional if your quarterback isn't a natural pocket passer. And I don't mean that as a knock on Clayton, but as you said, he, he hasn't shown that he can pick up a blitz and stay in the pocket and make a throw. He's protecting the football in my mind. He hasn't yeah. turned it over a lot. He's made a lot of – I've been really impressed with his arm. I think there are comparisons you can draw to Trevor Simeon, just no one blocking for him. But he has a skill set that could definitely work in the Big Ten. The four-yard dump-off to a receiver horizontally is replacing first round, first down runs for Justin Jackson, I think. They know it's not working anymore. As you see that the offensive line just isn't capable, I think we're going to see a lot more passes from Clayton Thorson. I don't think his workload is going to go down by any means. 40 passes per game seems like that will kind of be the constant for him throughout the season, which is kind of scary. Iowa coming up this Saturday at Kinnick Stadium on the road. You're going to be on the call, so I can't get a prediction from you. Can I just get a percentage chance from you, Amit, that they win on Saturday? 12. 1-8. That's, that's high. But, you know. I'd throw it higher. They could, they could do something. They could make it work. Iowa, I think, is not as impressive as maybe their ranking shows, mm-hmm. the record shows. And we saw that against North Dakota State. Hey, if the defense, you know, turns in a good performance and Clay nears it out, they could find something. Iowa's last two games, a loss at home to North Dakota State, who I don't want to discredit at all. That team is good. They could be near the top 25 in the FBS, I think. But then they went to Rutgers and won by a touchdown. So I don't think Iowa's been impressive at all. Let's get to the Big Ten. I just want to hear some sleepers and some teams that you think are really the real deal here, Will. Real deal. Ohio State is at the top of that class. Michigan, we really, not to hate on the Wolverines, because I think that they truly could have a national championship caliber mm-hmm. kind of team. They haven't really played anybody yet. An incredibly, <laughs> Nobody. incredibly weak non-conference schedule, which was highlighted by a big visit from the CU Buffs, who are very much still on the rise, I guess, if you want to put it in a, a positive light. They're not that good, and Michigan kind of struggled with them. And then they opened their, their Big Ten slate on Saturday against... Who did they play? Well, they actually played Penn State already. Played Penn State. And they won by 39. But still, they haven't really played anybody. (laughs) They got Wisconsin This is what we're going to find out this week. Exactly. This is a big week, obviously. Still haven't left the state of Michigan, which is kind of disappointing and not alarming, but I would just use disappointing as an adjective to describe that. I think Ohio State's the team that's proven the most at this point. Michigan perhaps has more upside. They have a coach who many think is the best coach in college football, so you never want to discredit them. Sleeper, I'm going to sit on and answer in a moment, Give him, let him give his best teams. Minnesota, yeah. though, to give one sleeper, I think, just because of their schedule. If they pull one Can I cut them off? The well, okay, the schedule. I, I'm I just going to put good, it out there, Minnesota's not good. They're not good, but I think they have a legitimate chance to win the Big Ten West. Just a little 
what's it called? The transitive property deal. Mm-hmm. So Michigan played Colorado, right? Played them close, 45-28. Colorado played Colorado State. Beat the Rams 44-7. And the Gophers played Colorado State this past weekend and barely got out of TCF Bank Stadium with a W. Didn't work. <laughs> I think it was 31-24. Also, Oregon State played them close in week one. That was a one-touchdown game. Also, at home in Minnesota, Oregon State won, I think, two games last year. The Gophers, just not a great football program, but when you don't have to play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State, you have a chance in the Big Ten West. Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, three possible wins in their crossover games. Give me the uh, difference. I'll say that I think Nebraska could sneak and win the Big Ten West. That's my pick. I don't know if that's is that a sleeper. I don't know. No, not at this point. Yeah, they're it's ranked a, 15th it's in the sleeper. country. They don't have to play Michigan State or Michigan. They only have a trip to Ohio State. Um, their other crossover would be Maryland and Indiana. Yeah, those so schedules nice. I, I don't really have a sleeper pick. I don't think this year is conducive to sleepers with no. such a top-heavy conference. That's my cold take. Wisconsin getting a win at Michigan State was big. Yeah. So I think it's kind of between the Badgers and the Cornhuskers. The Badgers still have to play Michigan and Ohio State. So they had literally the worst crossover schedule you could ever get as compared to Minnesota, who Kirk Herbstreit, I believe, even picked to win the Big Ten West. So you don't really know what's going to happen. Where's Northwestern going to shake out in there? Uh, two wins in the Big Ten. So okay. what does that put them at? Six out of seven? Fifth out of Illinois seven? Illinois and Purdue? Yeah, fifth out of seven, I guess. I think they'll take three or four. I think between Minnesota and Indiana, they get another. They get another one. Iowa, like I said, I think is higher than 12%, too. I'd throw it up near 30. Um, anything else Big Ten football-wise we want to discuss before we get some quick Welsh Ryan Arena, Allstate Arena takes? No, I think that's it for the Big Ten. That's all good. One so game th- of note, really quick. Throw it out there. Yikes at Indiana football team that supposedly was kind of on the rise this season and kind of going to make a statement in the Big Ten East as one of those middle-tier teams. They kind of got pounced, or trounced, I guess is the word, by Wake Forest this weekend at home, which is kind of an alarming note for the conference. Yeah. Ben Gorn, if you were here, would vouch for the Hoosiers, at least before they lost Wake Forest or whatever. Anyway, the big news that we found out today... While Northwestern updates Welsh Ryan Arena, huge renovation project next season, as in not this coming winter, but the following winter, the Wildcat men's basketball team will play at Allstate Arena. Your thoughts, Will Greer? Best solution to a problem that was going to have to be a problem if mm-hmm. you're going to update your home arena? Yeah. It's the best solution. Yeah. Go to uh, Rosemont. Or that, it is in Rosemont. It, What's the one that's Rosemont. further where they played the Big Ten yeah, women's tournament? I can't remember. I was there two years ago. It's all the way out in um, Schaumburg. So that's further, significantly so. Another, I think, 15, 20 minutes. I'm not from the Chicagoland area, so I don't know exactly, but it was almost an hour drive to get there. Schaumburg is about an hour, and Rosemont is about 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. So this is the best option? I think so. I think other potential options were Loyola. And I, I think it's good that they found one solution yeah. here that can be their home court. I didn't want to see, ah, we're playing a couple of games at the UC now, and then next week we're going to be back at Allstate. I think it's cool if they mix in a few downtown the United Center, or maybe out in Schaumburg if you have to, non-conference game. It's cool what they're doing with Dayton this year and that little Chicago showcase deal, but you have to have, like, a home court for one season, right? Yeah, I agree. I think it's nice to have Allstate Arena and. I think the team itself, you know, they'll 
they they'll find a place to practice around here. Hopefully, they don't have to drive thirty minutes to practice. But oh yeah, won't the uh, Lakeside Athletics facility be set by then? I think it should be. So they they should be set in that regard. So I think really just the the big worry. Some, the big worry, I guess, is you know having fans filling it out for the home side, because it you know if especially if you're a student, it's not a trek you want to make. Hmm. One quick note on this, and I think it's a pretty fair comparison. Clemson men's basketball this year had to play their games in Greenville, which is 30, 35 minutes away from their home campus in Clemson, South Carolina. And they have one of their better seasons in recent memory in terms of home ACC games. They lost them in the non-con. But they beat Duke, they beat Louisville, they beat Miami. They only lost two games in conference, which were Notre Dame and Virginia at home. And they had really good crowds as well, playing at a completely neutral kind of site in Greenville. Similar size to Allstate, similar size to their home arena. I mean, it can be done. And if you do it the right way and really promote it and offer bus services, I guess, will be the best case scenario for Northwestern fans. I don't think you necessarily lose that much of a home court advantage, especially if your home court advantage wasn't that strong in the first place, Clemson and Northwestern. And I think the the other thing to mention is that if Northwestern is going to be good um, that year in two years, is you know the best chance for Northwestern as the squad is assembled right now to make an NCAA tournament in Brian McIntosh's senior season, and Vic Law with another year in his belt, Derek Parton a junior. So I guess I guess yeah that they could see really an an uptick in performance even being away from Evanston. With the way facilities are in college athletics now, it's an arms race. You gotta do what you gotta do to keep up. So they did it. Just gonna float this out there like. Once Welsh Ryan Arena is renovated, think about all the different facilities that Northwestern will have cleaned up in the past decade or even sooner. And there's one that hasn't. Ryan Field. You gotta wonder when it might be coming. New it's, scoreboard. It's so big, though. New scoreboard. That's true. That, that doesn't. It's so big. How do you? Why do you renovate a stadium that seats fifty-four thousand? I don't know. That's for the architect to figure I out. I think they should just get that turf cleaned up and get a new scoreboard and maybe get some seats in. That'd be one renovation that I can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of a new well, stadium? Modern sports, also, you're thinking suites, you're thinking oh. nice boxes, you're thinking where the money comes from. I think one non-total overhaul renovation that you could do to Ryan Field, bring that end zone on the south side in a little bit toward the field and kind of enclose mm. the facility a little bit more. It kind of feels too open. I think it's that kind distant. of hurts the atmosphere at times. Where do you put the big wildcat behind the south end zone then? You figure something out. Figure, right. You figure something out. I just say, I, don't, I, I don't want you getting rid of it. End. Okay, good. good. I think that concludes our Northwestern specific talk, and actually our college sports talk for the most part. Time to get on to the NFL where me and Amit are kind of enjoying our time, I think, three weeks in. The Vikings and Eagles are both 3-0. and are they the best teams in the NFC or the NFL? I don't know. <laughs> I might go get a drink of water while y'all discuss well, I'll, this. I'll talk about it. The Eagles are not the best team in the NFC or the NFL. They are an upstart team that turns out to be better than we thought they were. Because at 2-0, you're like, okay, the Eagles are 2-0, but they've been two nobodies. And then they went out and whooped the Steelers. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said that the Eagles maybe are a playoff candidate now. But more than that... You gotta wait and see. They're young. You don't know. The Vikings now is a different story. That defense is so good that they might be the best team in the NFC. You know, the Panthers, Cardinals, I think are better teams on paper. The Packers supposed to be better, but they lost the Vikings. So there's a fair shot at the Vikings being the best team in the NFC. 
That being said, they cannot rely on defensive points scored, special teams points scored, and 10 to 13 points a game on offense. That will not get it done in the business end of the season. They're the Northwestern football of the NFL this year. Northwestern football from last season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This year this season. It's, it's very, very comparable. Um, also, if you look at this season, cornerback, kind of the weak spot. Xavier Rhodes, the Vikings' best cornerback, is injured. He's been out. Um, Northwestern doesn't have a quarterback injury. Anyway, my two cents, or it's going to be more than two cents on the Vikings, is I, I've watched them for, whatever, 15 years and it's just been futile forever, and now they open a new stadium by beating the Green Bay Packers in a game that they were definitely choose to lose in. Then they go on the road to Carolina and win without the guy who was supposed to be their starting quarterback, without the best running back in the NFL, without their best cornerback, an offensive line that can't block anyone, and somehow they still go into Carolina and beat a team that just went to the Super Bowl and supposedly is one of the hottest teams in the league. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're catching me off guard. So I think it's a playoff team with Sam Bradford. He's looked really good so far. Beyond that, it's hard to go to a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl if you don't have a high-powered offense. Yeah, I'd say this team you could definitely pencil in for the playoffs. It's early. It's week three, but 3-0, and and they're that good. You can pencil them in the playoffs. With just with 90% certainty. you got two against Detroit and two against Chicago yeah. still. So <laughs> four wins, you're ready, yeah. right? Yes, I agree. So Sorry for those teams. Um, the question is, like we said, can they get the offense going? And then, you know, I think a bye would be something that would really, really help this team. It's coming soon. So Weekend of the 16th. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. A playoff bye. Ah. A playoff bye <laughs> would really help this team. They're injured, yeah. too. But, yes, that would also help that team in terms of getting guys back. So, you know, this is something else. Now, do you think the Cardinals and Panthers, are they, should they panic or not really? I'm not ready to press the panic button on the Panthers yet. I mean, they lost at Denver week one. Denver has proven to be pretty good with starting quarterback Trevor Simeon. The Vikings we just talked about as a playoff team. Obviously, they the Panthers struggled with Minnesota at home, which was surprising with everything that's happening in Charlotte, I, mean, I don't know. They might attribute something to that. That's a that's a take that's about to boil. Well, I, I'm not. I don't have any takes on it. But okay, okay. like that was the storyline going into this weekend in Carolina, right? Is that they're playing while all this turmoil is happening? That's fair. North Carolina is a tumultuous place at this time. There's something there. So I'm not worried about Carolina. Arizona, on the other hand, didn't they get pelted by Buffalo? Yes. They had West to travel East all the way. West East game. All the way across the country. Throw it out. I'm not too worried. I think Arizona's still a playoff team, but barely. I think so. I think the, the NFC West is still up for grabs. Before the season, it looked like the Seahawks and the uh, the Cardinals were going to be the two real favorites duking it out, you know, 12-4 and or 11-5. and five. I don't know. Maybe maybe everyone goes downwind because these Rams are somehow 2-1. and yeah. one. Let's just say I don't believe in the Rams. I don't believe in just about any team from the NFC East with the exception of maybe the Eagles. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Down the road. I'm, I'm not every year, them in yet. Every year, every team in the NFC East has between 7 and 10 wins, and one of them goes to the playoffs, and the other one's probably the Giants because they get the wild card or whatever and then go yeah. to the Super Bowl. It's nonsense. I've um, got a sleeper team. Not to interrupt you, where are you going with that? I was just going to round out the NFC. Like in the South, I don't think I don't think the Saints or the Bucks are going anywhere. And leaves the Falcons. The, the Falcons, you know, their offense is really high powered, but their pass rush is non-existent. So, 
you know, if they if the Panthers keep slipping up, sure. But if the Panthers regain their footing, I don't think it's a wild card spot for the Falcons. Yeah, I, I feel like wild card comes down to maybe the Vikings Falcons. between the Vikings, Vikings Packers, Packers, and Seahawks, Cardinals. Seahawks, Cardinals, and then okay, there are sleepers yeah. in the South and the East between yeah. I think the Giants and the Falcons. Yeah, a sleeper team that maybe shouldn't be pressing the panic button right now because they're 2-1, and one, but does not appear to be that good this season, the Seahawks. Yeah, their offense They're not weak. that good. No. I just don't think they're that good. And you look at their schedule, and you hate to pull up schedules in the NFL because most teams play most other teams, and it's usually not a productive comparison. But they have to go to the Jets this week, a West-East game. They still have to play the Cardinals twice. They have to go to New Orleans, to New England, Philadelphia, Green Bay. It's, it's a, a tough, tough schedule, schedule, and it's hard to imagine a scenario in which they win more than nine games, especially with Russell Wilson banged up a little bit right now, apparently. It's and a team that we're offen- used to being in the offen- playoffs that might not be. Sorry to cut no, you off. Ahead. Their offensive line has just looked atrocious, Yeah, and that's that's a no-go for Russell Wilson's health. They've got to fix that. they got to clean that up real quick. I don't know where it's, how it's going to happen. They're just not no depth and really no like above-average people on that line, save for one or two. Yeah. I think anytime you lose to the Rams nine to three, you deserve <laughs> to be called a sleeper of a slouch of a team yeah. this season. Big questions about Seattle. Any thoughts about the AFC? Feel no, like we no need. A, no feel like we me. need at least a few like sleeper teams. Um, who's legit? Let me pull not. up the standings. The Patriots are legit, <laughs> as Jeez, we, we know, but that's not a surprise. Patriots are very good. The Texans, despite their loss of the Patriots, I th- still think are the best team in the AFC South. Leave that up to debate. Um, the Broncos, I think, will run away with the AFC West, and I think the question is who will grab that wild card between the Raiders and the Chiefs, or both. I don't know if both of them can get it, because the problem is the AFC North is now a question between, they have three really good teams. I was get. about to ask, what are the odds that the AFC North produces three playoff teams? It's happened before. They could do it again. The Steelers are really worried about them after their performance in Philadelphia, but you have to think with Bell coming back healthy, mm-hmm. Big Ben, if he stays healthy, they're a team that should coast to 10-6. and six. Heinz Field in the winter. Not uh, a place you want to play. Never. So Cincinnati's 1-2, and two, but Cincinnati's on, good. Here's, here's a fun question. You think Jack Mitchell could make an extra point in Pittsburgh in December? Not going to answer that question. Maybe off the inside of the upright. Oh, geez. Player's choice. So Houston tops in the south with maybe Indy sneaking up behind them. Denver currently on top in the west. I'm... I don't know what to think of Denver. Like, they're getting it done right now, but 10-11 win still pass, feels like a tough ask. That pass rush has been monstrous, almost like the Vikings. Same kind it's, it's, it's of same concept. Yeah. Uh, and they both use the same formula to beat the Panthers. Um, the Broncos obviously setting the, the blueprint in the Super Bowl. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think this Broncos team can keep doing it, but I don't think you can make a Super Bowl with their offense the way it is. And that's the same question we asked with the Vikings. And I think Trevor Simeon has done fine. He's improving. Great. We're very happy to, to see him as Northwestern fans. I, I don't think he they can keep doing this into deep into the playoffs. I don't think they can beat the Patriots like this. And I don't think they could maybe beat like a very good Chiefs team twice. All right, well, you've examined the schedule and the standings. I don't AFC. Have- I don't have a sleeper or any kind of prediction for you guys, but I do have a hypothetical kind of question. Even better. 
who should we feel worse for at this stage of the season? The Jaguars, a team that everyone thought was going to be up and coming, quarterback finally has figured it out, they're 0-3. Or the Chargers, a team that has perennially been 6-10, and 7-9, 8-8, and with an aging quarterback. They're 1-2, and but they've lost their two games. One on one of the final plays of the game to the Colts this weekend, and the first blowing a 20-point lead at Kansas City. So I, a 1-2 perennially middling team or an 0-3 supposedly up-and-coming team. Jags I'll go with Chargers. the existential dread and say the Chargers. I feel bad for the Chargers every year and for Phillip Rivers, who by all accounts from players and analysts is an elite quarterback. And I don't use the word elite in mockery of other quarterbacks. I just mean he's very, very good, and <coughs> he could, gets a lot done with a little. This Chargers team is just probably going to finish 6-10 and 10 and miss the playoffs, even though... They should be 3-0. Phillip Rivers' window is closing awfully quickly. <laughs> Chargers beat the Jags, so feel for the Jags. That's all I got. There you go. Both these teams shouldn't, expected to make, shouldn't have expected to make the playoffs, so... If you got your hopes up, it was for the wrong reason. I was also I was never penciling the Jackson. I, I wasn't buying into that hype. But yeah, I, penciling them in at seven and nine for a record season. The jacuzzis at Everbank filled. I know that takes them up. A you night. still got that? Why? Sure. They're fine. Sure. <laughs> Next D-backs right. game in August worth going to, doesn't it? Having a pool. Exactly. We're cutting off the NFL talk. We're cutting it off. We're moving on to, well, someone that Will and I both spent a lot of time watching. Kevin Garnett retires this week. We're going to get into Tim Duncan and KG since they retired as well this past season. What a three to leave the NBA this year. Like three of the legends, three guys that people of our generation are going to remember as some of the best basketball players. Yeah, it's a really, really special group. It's a really special group. It's weird. Growing up, you see all of these legends who become Hall of Famers, but you obviously never were able to watch them you don't really know that much about them but now we're starting to get to the age in our lives I guess and I guess this happens for every sports fan at some point where you know every single Hall of Famer that is continuously getting inducted they mean more to you and all three of those guys are clearly going to be Hall of Famers sooner rather than later and it was really cool to be able to to watch them play while we were growing up and kind of in that phase of our lives where they're more idols than they maybe will be when we're 30 40 years old. So being from Minnesota, I've always been a sort of Wolves fan, as much as you can be a Wolves fan with uh, how they performed in the last decade. Will hey, got hey. a Timberwolves jersey when he was a kid and became a Wolves fan, and, well, that was quite a choice he made. It was Kevin Garnett versus Tim Duncan. I like the Spurs <laughs> font go. more. I like the silver and black. I also knew Tim Duncan being an ACC guy, <laughs> but they didn't have the Spurs jersey in my size, so the only jersey they had at Dick's Sporting Goods, because Dick's Sporting Goods not really the best place to go for an NBA jersey, Mm-mm. believe it or not. They had a Kevin Garnett jersey. And How old were you? History, probably six years old. Nice. And I'm sure the options there were Kobe, Garnett, Duncan. I mean, those were the guys with jerseys at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah. Those I, were the guys. I had a KG jersey, too. I just remember countless just, like, hours in the driveway sitting on the baseline, probably, you know, 10, 15 feet out, doing the KG back-to-the-basket shimmy baseline jumper fadeaway. Just over Beautiful and over. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful it's an iconic I, shot as much as Kobe's fadeaway and KG, or Tim Duncan's bank shot are. It, it's up there. Maybe not up there with, Maybe you know, not up there with those two. But. But. 
if uh, if you're a Wolves fan, you, you definitely saw it plenty of times. The twenty footer from just inside the three point wing. That too. The high release line drive. Inefficient in shot. Inefficient, but it goes in every time. It goes time, in every so time. It's yeah. I think another thing just interesting about these three guys is they really are the hallmarks of the pre like stat driven era. You know, the three of the best players in the era of post ups, try late triangle. You know, mm-hmm. real bully ball was still an option. You know, the Spurs, before they came the whiz the ball around Spurs, were the throw it to Duncan and win us the game Spurs. Kobe was jacking up shots way more than he should have. KG was kind of ahead of his time in terms of he was a very mobile power forward that could guard on the perimeter and step out and stretch the floor. He was he was ahead of his time in terms of that. But the three of them together were, you know, the last remnants of an era that, you know, I don't think if these three entered the league now, I don't know if they had a, if they played the next fifteen years if they were built to be as successful. Now, obviously they're competitors, great athletes. They they make it work, but you know that basketball's kind of outgrown them, and it, it, the last few years were tough for all three of them in mm-hmm. some respects. Well, they're falling apart. <laughs> yes, which is <laughs> physically, which is yeah, true. Kobe especially, Timmy kind of kept doing it. I don't know how, and KG I think once he went to the Nets was. Yeah, and he, he, it's not that he was really trying. I don't normally like talking legacy because legacy is something different to every single person, and I mean, in the end, does it really matter for anyone except the player himself? But what what's Kevin Garnett's legacy here? I think the trash talking has to be <laughs> that's up there. near the top of what he will be known for. KG He's trash one of the best talk of all time, apparently one of the best Twitter uh, Twitter handles out there. Um, you know, it's weird to think of it in terms like this, but I think. Eras are defined by the very best players of those eras. And KG, while he is a Hall of Famer, was behind Duncan and Kobe from the post-Jordan era. And I think what he will be remembered for, besides being a monster in Minnesota, is he was the perfect foil to LeBron James. When LeBron was coming into the league and he tried to ascend to his throne, there was one man standing in his way, and he did not conquer that hill until 2011 or 2012. And, you know, KG really shut him down. I think kind of in a way that you remember the Pistons in the eight, late 80s having to struggle past the Lakers. And then the same way those Pistons were the obstacle for, you know, Jordan. KG was kind of that way he got his title and then became the LeBron foil. And I think without KG, LeBron doesn't become LeBron. And I think that's, you know, that's a weird way to look at it. But he will, That's that's kind of, I see his at least the latter half of his career playing out and where he sits in the NBA history books. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Minnesota Power Forwards have taken a lot of heat for leaving, too, between KG and Kevin Love. And I think both of them, it was perfectly fair. They did their time in Minnesota. They didn't win. Here's another it was thing, fair. Yeah, and KG um, went and got his ring. And which I think is great for him because he deserved it more than you know anyone really at the time other than maybe Amari in terms of big men. But that's a conversation for another time. Uh, I think a, a question is, if KG had better management earlier in his career, could he have won more? Well, if Sam Cassell didn't do the big balls dance in the conference semi or conference finals, I think he does have at least one ring. From Minnesota. Time. From Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. From Minnesota. It's they a, got close. It's certainly a fun what if. They got close three years in a row. You wonder if they had had one more player that would have been able to take down the Lakers and the Spurs. My second what if is if KG's knee doesn't go down 
the year after the title. Do the Celtics play probably one of the worst title-winning teams in the 09 Lakers and beat the Cavs and the Magic in that year and win a back-to-back? Because everyone says, who was around that team in 09, that they were even better than the 08 team that won the title because they had time to gel. That's another one I have for you. Do you think that they would have done it? Yes. <laughs> Short answer. Uh, Sorry, I love posing these yeah. these uh, interesting what-if questions about some of the biggest guys in our... There are a lot of words I got a little lost, but I'll follow Will's suit and say yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> can we think about it and text you when we yes, have of a course. better answer? And you, you can add a little yeah. addition under so the Sports Voice post. I guess yeah. a, another question I have is, in terms of power forwards all time, where do you guys rank Kevin Garnett? I was waiting for this. And uh, it's so hard. So this is one of the most heated arguments that I've had about sports at WNUR. And it was with a former WNUR sports director. We did the whole $15 make your team thing on Facebook. I'm sure you've both seen it. I'm sure. Great all, great yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so I put KG on my team because he was like a dollar or $2 as compared to the other power forwards who were like Duncan, uh, Malone, Barkley. I can't remember the other one. Those Dirk. are the... Dirk, I don't Dirk think Dirk was in there. One he would have been the one. Or a zero. Anyway, or, or like, yeah. I shelled out my one or two dollars for KG because I think KG at his peak was probably better than Duncan was at his peak. I agree with KG that. KG won an MVP. He was, I don't know if he was ever as good a defender as Duncan, but offensively his skill set was I think more he was varied. Right there, yeah, he was KG's right there. Defense was his, was he his was more athletic. He's than always Duncan. been more yeah, athletic, yeah, yeah. But Duncan's always always been known yeah. for his defense too. I just think KG at his peak was better than Duncan. Duncan's career was more prolonged, I think, and I think he was like an all star for a longer period of time, and he had a better career given all the rings and et cetera, the Spurs. But KG, at his peak, I think was better than Duncan. I'll get to the whole ranking power forwards in a second. I'll, I'll say that I think if you had one game to win, you wanted a better power forward, you take prime KG. But if you're building a team for a season, there's something to be said about Tim Duncan's team-building culture mm-hmm. and work, adi- worth, work ethic and attitude. That's not to say that KG didn't have it, because by all accounts, he was a team guy, really inspired those around him to be better. But Tim, Duncan, Tim Duncan's selflessness... selflessness inspired a culture that won five NBA rings. And I think we can agree that Duncan was a better passer. For sure. Although, Kevin Garnett is one of, like, two people ever to average ten points, five rebounds, and five assists Mm -hmm. in a season, which Mm -hmm. is something insane. And it's pretty tough to quantify this. Maybe impossible to quantify this, but it seems like KG is more of a vocal leader than Tim Duncan ever was, a guy that you could really rally behind. Not to say that Duncan wasn't a leader, because I think in a very quiet way, in a very Tim Duncan way, he kind of rallied his troops. But Garnett, in terms of winning that one game, it feels like he could get your team more pumped up and get your team more ready to go, just based off of his natural, intense demeanor. I think both need the right personnel. Duncan has Tony Parker, who's going to walk the ball, be a floor general, right? Really calm, and, Yeah, Manu, other guys like that fit with him. KG needed a bunch of punks who were going to sit there and take the yelling and do what they're... Like, Latrell Sprewell. All right, when Latrell Sprewell got a coach that he could rip into and just ignore, he'd walk all over him. But KG probably rounded him up and said, no, buddy, this is how it's going to be when we're on the court. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Latrell Sprewell or KG? 
Both, both are pretty cool. Uh, nah. both are pretty cool. <laughs> Not Latrell's pretty well. I think in terms of all three of these guys' collective legacies, they kind of, to some extent, embody what the best professional athlete is going to be in terms of a guy that is so loyal <coughs> to the team that drafts them and so loyal to that city and the fans and is kind of a perfect role model for the kids who are growing up and kind of idolizing that sports team. Because KG, yes, he did leave, but he constantly said if the Wolves went out and got a bigger time free agent, he would 100% stay. He mm-hmm. now wants to be in the team's ownership. He still wants to have a very vocal voice in the Timberwolves. He cares about the Timberwolves going forward, which is pretty cool. A lot of people didn't see that coming. They're like, whoa. <laughs> he wants to go back to Minnesota? Returning in his last year to help mentor Carl Anthony Towns, who may well be the next great big man in our game. And, you know, people say, you know, how much does mentorship matter? How much does leadership matter? I don't know, but I think Carl Anthony Towns had a somewhat tangible effect from having Kevin Garnett around him in his mm-hmm. rookie season. Let's do these rankings right quick. We're running out of time for the KG talk before we do lightning round. Here's ESPN's. Tim Duncan, one. Two, Carl Malone. Dirk, three. Which is way too high. Bar- Barkley, four. Barkley. KG, five. Kevin McHale, six. That's tough Bob to Pettit, McHale. seven. Eight, Elvin Hayes. Pau Gasol down at nine. And then Dennis Rodman, ten. It's really hard to quantify uh, McHale because of he was so known for playing with Parrish and Bird and a star-studded team, and, and also the he's rolls into the ground, and he's also like he I don't know <laughs> he he kind of came he was part of the Bird Magic era and not really the Jordan era, which is where most of these guys come from, especially. Also, he was always the second best player on his team. Yeah, which is tough to ever be a... It's clear, clearly not in the top five. There's yeah. a big drop. <laughs> um, another thing about Dirk is we kind of both scoffed. I think Dirk is great and is probably a top 20 all-time guy because of winning that title. What he did was amazing with that team. Not that they were bad. Great te- team playing, team style, team first, team. Sure. But, you know, to put Dirk above Kevin Garnett, you can't... I, I don't know. I think in terms of talent. Now, could Kevin Garnett ever win a title where he was a singular superstar without that much help? I don't think so. Just in terms of his offensive limitations. I got Duncan one. I think that's clear cut as far as career. Two, probably Carl Malone. I'm really torn between Malone and Barkley. It's tough. I I don't know if I'm biased. I've never watched Charles Barkley. I have no clue. I've seen some things and I've read a lot, and people say when Chuck was on his game... He bullied everyone. Exactly. He bullied everyone. The thing about Carl Malone is he was kind of just like a machine. That man was Mailman. a machine. But the thing about Carl Malone is I feel like he also, like, Barkley never played with great point guards. I don't know. Like, if you look back at Barkley's team, like, he might have had a few. I don't want to, I could be speaking completely wrong here. But um, Malone also, like, was playing with Stockton. And also, like, the their failures in some big moments. Not that Chuck ever won a ring, but I, I don't know. I think Barkley, in terms of you want a guy to win you a game, you want a guy to build your team okay. around, prime Barkley over Malone for me. But that's that's mine. I see Duncan won, five Dirk, two, three, four, in no specific order, Barkley, KG, Carl Malone. It's up for debate. I'm with you. You're Garnett, right. Garnett two, though. Two? Garnett two. Okay, that's Bias. interesting. Bias. I think Barkley is better than both of them. I think Malone is probably better, so I'd go Barkley, Malone, Garnett, but I'm maybe recency bias. I don't know. Maybe I'm not 
thinking Kevin Durant's that good because of what I've seen the last few years. Fair. I have to watch some more KG Prime tape. And also, I spent a lot of this summer, you know, doing some dream team, just diving <laughs> around and reading about those two guys, especially Malone and Barkley. So that's my that's my take. We'll finish this with a sentence that uh, Amit put in here. I have literally never had a walking day in my life without them in the league. Between Kobe, KG, we didn't get. To I was Co- born. Didn't in, get to Kobe that much. I mean, but. he was in the power forward, which is why we didn't talk about yeah, it. Yeah. But I was born in May of 1997, so literally every day in my life, these three guys have so been playing crazy. in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Kobe sentences. Well, I guess we can end with this. Is Kobe said that uh, you can't talk trash to me if you are born after I was in the league. <laughs> great rule <laughs> it, it really is yeah and kg was born when i wasn't even one so uh, it's crazy to think about it's cool and kg's trash talk but never forget these are our first hall of famers that we grew up and consistently watched kg was the reason I that mean, television has to use the silence yeah. button now when you I see get, some dirty I guess mouths. alan iverson um he was a little peak alan iverson was pre my time because i was not Conscious, like I don't remember the 0-1 finals, and the fireball that he was, but um, he was kind of my KG, I guess, for you guys. Yeah. But uh, definitely did not watch him as much as you guys probably saw KG. Fair enough. Go Wolves. Lightning round time. All right. I'm ready to lose. Will Greer is a five-point favorite. I have just determined the line. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm one to know. What are you? I'm on one. Ben just smoked nice. me. It wasn't ben even... set the program record, which is 13 points. Um, still out to be beaten wow. against Jason Doro in the I spring got like last three, year. Something like yeah, that. not great, but it's okay. We've seen worse. Um, so really? the way this Yikes. works, yeah, I've seen one. One's the low. It's been uh, as long as I get on the board, I feel uh, good. So the way it works is it's a sports news quiz. There are 10 questions for both of you, and the questions increase in difficulty and value. So there are three easy questions. You get them right, you get a point. Three medium questions, you get those right, two points. Three hard questions, three points each. And a Philly sports special, which is usually pretty obscure. And if you get that, you get four points. Um, There's a rapper question of the week in the second set. Love it. Um, Usually you guys rock, paper, scissors one time, and the winner gets to decide first or second. So if you guys would oblige. All right, Jason Doro. Wins, so he can decide first or second. He's gonna want the rapper question, but I don't know which one. Which it's set it, it's, it's in, always in the second set. set. So that's oh, no. second set, baby. So you're going second. Yeah. All right. So the first set of questions. I would have picked first. Is for <laughs> Will Greer. Great. We're gonna try to make this a little quicker than normal lightning round, but we have time. So here we go. Easy question, maybe for Will Greer. Let me put my computer away so I'm not uh, accused of anything. Who won the London Derby 3-0 in a rout at the Emirates? Is this the easy question? This is an easy question. What kind of what sport is Soccer. this? Soccer. <laughs> the word the key word would have been Derby, pronounced as Derby, not Derby. Is it a Premier League team? Yes. Oh what? What's this help nonsense? It's easy. Come on. Chelsea. Uh Chelsea's the team that lost. It was Arsenal. I was thinking. That's Arsenal okay. That's a good guess. Uh, so a good guess. <laughs> nothing there. Here we go. Number two easy question. So there aren't gonna be many soccer who, questions. Who this. came back from a twenty one to three deficit? on Saturday in college football to remain unbeaten this season. Oh, the, my god! The gosh. hint I can give you, because it's supposed to be easy, it was against Florida. Oh. oh. Cool. Tennessee. All right. 
Rocky Top. Rocky Top. Easy. You needed some easy ones. I was blanking too. One yeah. easy. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it's medium without the the hint. So easy point. One point. Number three. Which NBA player announced that this year would be his last through the Player Tribune? Okay, Paul, Paul Pierce. Pierce. Correct. Two out of three for easy. Two points. Medium question. Who hit a go-ahead home run in the 11th inning on Monday to defeat the Astros in a crucial wild-card race matchup? On Monday? Yes, Monday night versus the Astros. Astros were probably... Go-ahead home run in the 11th inning. Mike Trout. Nope, it was the Mariners, and it was Robinson Cano. Tough one. All right, still two points. The next medium question. How many turnovers did the Jets commit against the Chiefs? Six. Six interceptions. Seven. No, 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 you no. had a chance. <laughs> it was eight. <laughs> All right, so not that one. It's tough. A lot. Uh, next medium question: Who won the FedEx the Cup and PGA Tour and netted the thirteen million dollar purse? I forgot already. It's a golfer. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Will knows what the FedEx Cup is. It's not Jason Day, but that's my guess. It's not Jason Day. Yeah, I know it's not. So you're guessing Jason Day. Jim Fury. No, it was Roy McIlroy. All right, He's so back. two points through the medium questions. Not great. Here comes the hard ones. Game. They're pretty hard. Uh, who scored the game-winning goal in overtime in preseason hockey as the Canes defeated the Capitals? It's a hard question. Ovechkin. The Canes won. I'll give you another guess. Ovechkin. Okay, it was... <laughs> Justin Falk, uh, capital or Kane's young star. You Next one, two. you guys are Minnesota fans. This is for you. Who returned the only punt for a touchdown during week three of the NFL? It is me. You cannot answer. It's Will Greer's question. Devin Hester. No. Can I steal? Yes. <laughs> Marcus Sherrills, former Minnesota Golden Gopher. Marcus Sherrills is correct. The, we were hoping people would say Cordero Patterson, but you didn't, so... Okay. Next hard question. <laughs> we'll take it. Uh, who hit the walk-off home run in Vin Scully's last home game? Charlie Culberson. That is correct. Nice. Well done. No name on the points. Dodgers. That's three, three points. Three so points. He's at five. That's a big one. five. He's That's at five. five. So here's the last one. Philly Sports Special, worth four. Okay. Uh, which celebrity appeared at the Sixers team dinner the night before media day to talk to the team about failures and successes? Do you know, Wilger? Do you want to give me a hint on how this person got famous? No. <laughs> if I give you a hint, you'll the type of hint that I'm thinking of giving you would make it kind of easy. Think about why he would be at the Philadelphia sure, team dinner. Sure. Mark Wahlberg. No, Will Smith. <laughs> Philly. Uh, part-time sure. owner of the team, but Philly gotcha. guy. You know, maybe Kevin Hart was a guess. Maybe AI was a guess. I don't know. So Will can't cover the spread, so but we can push. Yes, you can push. If I go scoreless. So, five points for Will Greer. Jason Doro needs a few questions to beat him. Dumb game. So here we go. <sighs> okay. Number one, on NBA Media Day, Mike D'Antoni said that this player is now officially a full-time point guard. Can I steal? <laughs> no. I didn't get to steal the Marcus Charles one. I don't even know what team Mark D'Antoni coaches anymore. Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni. It's a yeah, it's a new he's the new coach. All right, do you not know? It's James Harden. He's the Rockets coach. Dumb. All right, next easy question. I'm gonna push. Which wide receiver <laughs> made a mockery of himself after hitting a kicking net only to have it bounce back Odell and hit Beckham him in the head? Junior. That's Odell Beckham Jr. One point, four more to tie. Okay. Which previously top twenty five team fired their head coach after a two and two start to the season? LSU. 
That's correct. So two points. Here we go. Medium question. Who scored the game-winning touchdown in overtime to defeat the Browns in Miami? Reeds, can you name a Miami wide receiver? I can name uh, one. Devontae. It's not him. It's not Devontae Parker. No. He made the catch to get them there. It's a running back. It's a backup running back at this point. Gave you all I can do. Uh, it's not, it's, it's not J, Kenyon Drake. It's J I J E. So next medium question. What school do you get? Can you name three matchups? The th- the three matchups between the top ten ranked teams in college football in week five. We talked about one of them earlier in the podcast. So from this past week, or in oh, the coming week, there are three matchups between top ten teams. Can you name all three? We talked about one of them. I will rename it for you because I think it's fair. It's Michigan versus Michigan Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So there are two more. Can you get them? This is so easy. I haven't looked at next week's slate. It's not Northwestern Iowa. Nope. <laughs> no. Do you not know? No. Stanford. Right. Stanford, Washington. And the Clemson. other one. Clemson, Louisville. No points for you, but well done. Thanks. Uh, okay. Last medium question. Which player was credited with the win as the Indians clinched the division? Baseball. Um, it's got to be Corey Kluber. Nope, Andrew Miller. Yeah. Okay, so we're at <laughs> we're at we're still at two at points. Two. You need one of these hard ones to tie. If he beats me with the rapper question, well, I'm he never coming on this show again. Here hey, I got the Marcus Charles. Here one. it is. Who's here's a hard question. It's a soccer one. Tough one. Who Next. scored? Who scored two goals <laughs> against Sports Voice After Dark legend Landon Donovan and the LA Galaxy on Saturday? MLS player scored two goals against the Can Galaxy. I get a team? Freddie Adu. Seattle Wait, that Sounders. doesn't help. Seattle Sounders. Freddie Adu. <laughs> Pele. All right. Matt McHugh would be proud. It's Pele a, ball. Here comes Pele. Screaming. Can you screaming? It's <laughs> Jordan Morris. Gunson. All right. This is this is one that you could get. Gunson with the cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bing <right>. bong. <laughs> Mike Dick. Here's, here's the next hard one. Uh, who, first. who retired after 14 years in the NBA on Monday? Um, Ooh. Mo Williams. Correct. Five points. <laughs> five points. That's not a hard level question. That's yeah, kind of a medium one, but whatever. Yeah. People don't know. Mo I got them retired. I saw. All right. Well, Mo Williams. Hard question. For the Wolves or whatever. This is for the win. This one might be too easy for a hard question. It's the rapper question. Yes. Too <laughs> easy question. Which athlete appeared on stage at Chance the Rapper Saturday concert at USL Field? No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna need a second. So it's an athlete. Jimmy Butler was at the Sky Game. He was. Yeah. So I don't think he's he was there. Three, two, one. Two. You don't know. Jimmy Butler. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Butler was on stage at the <laughs> yes. Chance the Rapper the concert. He's all around Chicago so right now. So, who else is he going to be? Jaleel. Came on stage during the Philly concert. Mm. Was your guess Jimmy Butler? Well, I would have gotten to that conclusion. Nik- Miritich. Let's think of an out-of-season sport and the best player on that team in the specific city. Call Dwayne Bell. Wade. Not, is he a bull now? Yeah, he, he is, sure a, bull he is now. a bull. Yeah. All right, well, Evan, yeah, in a controversial win, Jason Dora still has one question left to run up the controversial. score. Controversial. 
Who earned this? And it was controversial by my fault for making the questions too easy. I apologize. I, they were Although forgetting me- each would have been you, medium. If you questions. counted them as medium questions, he still would have gotten six. Six. I had London Derby as an easy. That was an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You should have won the uh, rock paper scissors. Should have won rock paper scissors for the Philly sports special. Love it. Will Greer on the walk here remarked to me about how he got Hector Neris was the Phillies closer in a game I asked him about. Oh, that's a name. We bring back the same iteration of the question. Who earned the save for the Phillies in their 10-8 win over the Mets? Has to be Brad Lidge. Nope. Chad Qualls. Nope. Michael Marriott. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Well, yeah. there you have it. 8-5, to five, Jason Doro gets on the score sheet in lightning round 1-1. One and one. Will Greer drops to 1-1. One and one. I'm done with this show. Play the game under protest. Yeah. But... To be fair, even if they were medium questions, Jason Doro still would have won, so I'd say a legitimate win. Uh, well done to Jason Doro. Congrats, Jason. Enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, thanks it, for, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for a great podcast, guys. Thank you, Matt. Um, Thank you, Matt. A lot of fun talking about Northwestern sports. And I think we both saw I the rundown this week and thought, we're going to be there in the studio with the mid on Tuesday. I think uh, you guys owe me a text about Kevin Garnett. And hypothetically winning the 2009 championship. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, I'll think about that. Other than that, any closing thoughts? Just glad to be here. Hopefully I'll be back sometime, but never know. Bound to be uh, one heck of a fall quarter here. This was fun. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Wolverine. All right. On that note. With that, this is Sports Wars After Dark. <laughs>